This is tape number 15 of Dr. Joel Hunter's series, Faith from Heaven to Earth. The subject of his message is Faith and Your Marriage Now. And from the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's text is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 32 and 33, and it reads as follows. The mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. And now, let's join in for praise and worship, followed by Dr. Joel Hunter's message, Faith and Your Marriage Now, message number 15 of the series, Faith from Heaven to Earth. Well, during this series, we are going to examine how cleverly God has made the world. <clears throat> because the world is not made by accident or coincidence. He has made the world in order to be a reflection of heavenly things. So that as we build our relationships in the world, so too will we build our faith. We have been talking, uh, beginning last week, about marriage and about how um, preparing for the fulfillment of marriage in a physical sense is exactly the same way as preparing for Christ coming again and the groom taking the bride who is us unto himself. All of us need to prepare for that great day. This week we're going to talk about marriage as it is now. Um, these principles will apply not only to those of you who are married, but if you listen very closely, they apply to all human relationships. Now, how has God constructed marriage so that it will particularly build our faith? In a good marriage, there is not only uh, the usual acquiescence to uh, what our duty is, but there is also this wonderful, mysterious element that when it is missing, casts uh, kind of a pall on the, on the whole thing. What is that element? See if you can pick it up in this scene. Yeah, I know. Well, that's just why ferrets make bad pets. Anyway, I am so excited. It's my first married birthday. I know. I can't wait to see what Kevin got me. Oh, hold on just one second. Mmm, I just got this new rose room spray. It smells so good. I know. Rose is my favorite fragrance. It has been since I was 10. I can't help it. I'm going to stick with it. So I'm hoping that he takes him to this vegetarian restaurant that's just opened on the other side of town. Well, no, I'm not a full vegetarian or anything, but, you know, I haven't eaten red meat in over six months. I have so much more energy. Wait, I think I hear him coming. Okay, bye, Linda. Thanks for calling. Hey there. Hi. How are you? Good. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> Yeah. And there's also hand lotion in oh. there and some of that room spray. Oh, in, in peach. Yeah. It's all in peach. Oh. Peachy. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's too good for my wife. Oh, and hey, I also got you this. Yeah. Huh? Look at that. It's to hold my Sports Illustrated magazines. 
Well, you know how it's always driving you crazy the way I always leave them around. Well, now you have a place you can put them. It's very thoughtful, honey. Thanks. Guess what? What? When I bought that, uh-huh. I also got this free. Happy birthday! It's a football. A football? Look closer, honey. It's a phone. See? Is that great? You know what? I'm going to use it right now to make us reservations for dinner tonight. Well, okay. I am starving. Me too. You just think of the number. <laughs> ah, yes. Hello, Charlie Steakhouse. Hi. Yeah, I called earlier. Reservations for two. For two. For two. It's a French steakhouse. Uh, yes. And uh, <laughs> tonight, eight o'clock. Yeah, two of your biggest, juiciest steaks. Okay. Great. Well, we are all set, huh? Modern technology. Yeah, okay. <laughs> hey, honey, go out for a long one. Come on. Do the button hook. <laughs> well, how many of you, in spite of his cleverness, want to kill Dave? <laughs> and why? What was missing in this picture? Well, if you will turn to Ephesians chapter 5, we will talk about the mystery of relationships and about the ingredient in order to make that mystery a reality in our own life here and faith. You know, St. Bonaventure said, that there are really three levels of cognition or three ways of seeing, three eyes, he said. The first one is the, is the eye of the flesh. You know, you, you look out the world, you, you see objects, they're, they're, you know how to separate them, you know, you know what to do with them, and so on and so forth. There is a second eye that he called the eye of logic or reason. Uh, this is the ability to categorize things philosophically, to think on a more abstract level. But there was a third eye that he talked about, a third way of seeing. And he called it the contemplative eye. Uh, the Bible calls it uh, the eye of the spirit, the spiritual eye. The discernment of the transcendent aspect of reality. The understanding that everything we do here has spiritual implications. And forms, indeed, into a world that is above the world that we see with our first eye. And so, what I'd like to talk to you about today is a, is a mystery. I'm not going to explain it to you because I can't. As a matter of fact, it's very frustrating to talk about mysteries. Larry Crabb once said, uh, Vernon tells me, um, that we all have a tendency to want to take a mystery and reduce it to principles that we can manage and put into action. 
And I would say, yeah, me too. I just want, you know, give me three things and I'll get out of here and go do them, you know. But relationships aren't manageable. The best relationships can't be put into action. There's a mystery about them. And Christ said that there is the, the, the connection between our physical marriage relationships and the relationship between himself and us. It's, it says in the last two verses of the fifth chapter of Ephesians this, after Paul has gone to some length to describe a good marriage, a good Christian marriage, <clears throat> he says this in verse 32. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. In other words, I haven't just been talking about marriage at all. I've been talking about your spiritual lives. I've been talking about your relationship with God. I'm speaking about Christ and the church. When he says that, we, we are reminded that God speaks to us a wisdom that is not available to the world. That is only available to Christians. As a matter of fact, if you want a reference to that, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, says that when Paul communicates to the church at Corinth this, <clears throat> Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. That's what we're going for here, maturity in Christ. We do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. I will be speaking about relationships for the rest of this year. And I will be speaking about them in idealistic terms. Now that will be of great frustration to some of you. Because you will say, you know what, Hunter, uh, that's all fine and good, but we don't live there. And I will say to you, but you could. But you, I really believe we could. I will always preach in terms of the ideal. I'll tell you more about that next week and tell you why I'll always do that. But I do not want to be insensitive at this point. I want to, I want to tell you that I recognize, even as I go through these these messages about relationships, there are many of you who are in abject pain in this sanctuary this morning because you have a relationship that has been broken or you have one that is floundering. And, and, and this is going to seem like rubbing salt in the wounds or like I'm not really speaking to you. Let me encourage you, if that is your case, to avail yourself of our excellent pastoral care ministry here. And let them walk through some of the details with you to connect the ideal with where you are. Because I don't want to pretend that all of us live there. As a matter of fact, I want to admit just the opposite. None of us live here yet, me included. But I sure want to someday. What is there about a wonderful relationship that all of us would like to discover? Why do we all have this bent toward the ideal? What is there so curious about kids growing up believing that they were made to be princes and princesses and living happily ever after? We all believe that. And there's a little bit in us that still does. I heard a story, a true story, about a uh, 
a lady who married her her idyllic man, General Philip Philip Sheridan was his name. This is in the late 1800s, and uh, and uh, they just had a phenomenal marriage um, for a few years. They moved into a, a little house together, and they they built it together, and they decorated it together, and and he died an untimely death in 1888. Mrs. Sheridan died in 1958. Many people, as she lived out her life in that house alone, encouraged her to do what most of us would encourage her to do. You know, that was fine that you had a great marriage, but you can't stop living. You've got to go on. You've got you to you know, build other relationships and, and think about getting married again. And her response was always the same. She would always say, I would rather be Phil Sheridan's widow than married to any living man. Now, I don't recommend that, but it makes me curious. I want to know what they had. I want to know why that was so wonderful. Well, I believe that the Bible gives us ways to reflect idyllic relationship because we were made to be the image of God. We were made to reflect heavenly life, which is perfect life. It says that in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. We were made to be in His image and made to be His image. So therefore, I want to talk just about two things this morning, just to get us started. First of all, I want to talk to you men. Because in this second um, uh, verse of the text, this verse 33 of chapter 5. Paul goes on and speaks specifically and individually to the men and to the women, and he doesn't say the same thing. He says, nevertheless, let each individual among you also, and then he talks to the men, love his own wife even as himself. And to the women says something different. Let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Now, does it occur to all of you that men and women have different needs? It it should. Even in the 90s, where everybody's trying to tell us how much alike we are, it should still be occurring to you that we are different. We are very different. We were made to be different. Um, somebody told me last night that there was a television show on a, on a major uh, television station a couple of weeks ago where they had done these studies of the brain tissues of men and women and how they were constructed differently and, and, and did experiments with little babies, little boy babies and little girl babies. And, 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 and you know, there was such a marked difference in, in little boy babies' reaction. I mean, little boy babies wouldn't look at their mothers as long as the little girl babies would. They were, they were off somewhere, you know. And, and, and so they were just explaining the findings of these. And there was this uh, a, a feminist uh, that just was furious at this, you know. And, and the scientists were going, that's just the facts. And, and her response was, it has no right to be the facts. <laughs> well, you judge what's, what has a right and what doesn't has a right. I'm just telling you the facts. Men and women are different. And, and so... Paul encourages us, Christ encourages us through Paul at at, at exactly our weak points and, 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 and tells us here's where you need to gain strength. Men, 
Love your wives. Men are not geared toward love. Men, men, many of the women, men I know, are, are, are geared toward accomplishment, toward logic, toward, you know, categorization. Um, love, this, this sensitive stuff, you know, we'd, we're not naturally bent toward that. I like Bob Foster's phrase. He said, he said, you know, you tell a man, I love you once a year, that's good enough for him. He, you know, he puts it in a category. Okay, duly noted. Got it in the category. Let me know if you change your mind. Okay, it's in there. You know? He said, I tell my, life, my wife at, at, at 10 o'clock in the morning, I love her, and by noon, she wants to know where she stands. You know? <laughs> you know, men are just this, in, this, in this category thing. Many men are and just in this category thing. And, and so it's not easy for men to love. What does it take to love? The first thing it takes is to listen. To listen. You see... That was the problem with our little couple here. He wasn't giving her what she wanted. He hadn't listened to her. He hadn't learned about her. He was giving her what he liked. Or at least what he thought she might like. He hadn't listened. Men, do you remember what it was like before you got married and you listened? Because you were trying to figure out what kind of person this was? What were her likes? What were her dislikes? Let me ask you a question. Did she stop changing the moment you married her? Then why did you stop listening? You see, women continue to change. All of us do. Just as much as before the marriage, probably faster than before the marriage. And so it is every bit as important that we get ourselves in a position to listen, to continually listen, so that what we have to give is exactly what they need in the way they need it, in the way that they can receive it. Now, I know that many of you men would rather be in a prize fight than listen. You know why? Because you want to do something heroic. It's much more preferable for men to, do, to be heroic than to be sensitive. And it is much less important for relationships that you be heroic instead of sensitive. How do you listen? You get yourself in a position every day where you see that you are going to be depending on a response from her before you live the rest of your life like you do. I, I heard a story, true story. Uh, a man in France, the Count of Chabrol, his name was Jean Camille, proposed to his wife, listen to this, every day of their 63-year-long marriage. Proposed to his wife every day. What was he doing? He was putting himself in a position where he was hoping for a response. And then he was getting ready for tomorrow's question. Do you remember how much preparation it took for you to pop that question the first time? How much listening you had to do before you were pretty sure about the answer? Why not every day? Why not? I know it's tough. 
I know it's tough because you, you know, and, and sometimes it's tougher than others. And sometimes you, we, we, when we get very uh, uh, attached, you know, we were back and I were driving down the road the other day. And, and, and usually if we're just listening to music, I have no problem. She talks and I, I love to listen and I ask her questions and so on and so forth. And, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, but the Seminoles were playing football and, and I was just really into this game, see. And, and I kept saying, what, 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 what? She kept saying, I'm sorry, you're listening to a football game. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. That's all right. I really want to know. And I just, it, it just wasn't there. It just wasn't there. It's, it's not, it's not, you know. So, man, listen. Listen. It's important that you develop the mind that was in Christ. This is in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. Let me see if this description fits anybody here. And amen. Starting with verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude or thinking in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus. Why do we need to do that? Because that's Christ Jesus. That's who Christ was to us. And we are to reflect His, His character. And the Bible says very clearly, now watch this, if we can't love our brother, and how much even more our wife, who we have seen, how can we love God who we have not seen? Let me just be real blunt with you. If you can't listen to your wife, do you expect you'll be able to listen to God? The answer to that is no. It's the same dynamic that you're developing. Now, women, it has a different thing for you in here. St. Paul says this, And let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Now, I know you once respected your husband or you wouldn't have married him. But I also know, being a man, that that respect tends to go by the wayside after we get married because you find out who we are and how we've operated all along. <laughs> and I know it's not an easy thing. And I know once you have something, it doesn't always last. I know the same thing with men. I want you to notice the verb tenses in here in Greek are the present imperative verb tense. That is, imperative means that it's an order. It's not a suggestion. It's not a way you can improve your marriage. It's not a marital aid. It's an order from God. Men love your wives. It's an order. Wives respect your husband. It's an order. And in the present tense, it means, imperative the present tense, it means... Continuously, repeatedly. It's not a one-time thing. It's something you do again and again and again and again by intention. If it's not something that you had some part to play in, some voluntary action, it wouldn't be an imperative. And so therefore, God leaves it up to us. Now, it says, why is respect your husband? How do you do that? Well, there's a couple of ways. First of all, You've got to decide you're going to overlook a bunch of stuff. 
I mean, you, you're, I mean, let's be realistic about this. You do. I, I heard a story about a couple that had been, been married for 50 years. And, uh, and they had a big party, you know. Of course, everybody's asking, how'd you do it? How'd you do it? And when it, come to the wife, it came to the wife, she had one response. She said, I decided that on my wedding day, I would make a list of ten of his faults that I would overlook for the sake of our marriage. Well, you know what the next question was, don't you? What were the ten? Yeah. What'd you put down on the list? She said, well, to tell you the truth, I got busy on my wedding day and I never got the list made. But every time in the last 50 years he did something to really tick me off, I said, it's a good thing that one's on the list. <laughs> Not a bad habit. You've got to decide you're going to overlook a lot. But you also need to decide that you will reverence your husband. Watch this. Watch, please. Here comes the mystery. Out of the relationship, not out of the achievement. Do you reverence Christ just because of what he does for you? If you fail to have a prayer answered in the way you wanted it to be answered, do you just not respect Christ anymore? No. You respect Christ because of the relationship you have with Him. And because you realize if you cut yourself off from Christ in any regard, you cut yourself off from life. Do you not realize that's also how it is with your husband? It's so easy to kid about your husband's faults. It's so easy to kid about his failures, even to him. But every time you disrespect your husband, you're cutting yourself off from life. Let me show you that in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 11 and 12 says that we are so interconnected together, we cannot harm the other without harming ourselves. Look at what it says. This is the realistic state. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 11 says, However, in the Lord... And by the way, these messages are for Christians. If you try to do this without Christ, you're going to kill yourself. You're going to be absolutely frustrated. No human being could do this on their own. If you, if you could have done it by now on your own, you would have done it by now on your own. Only God can do this in a human relationship. And so, those of you who are Christians, this is for you. The rest of you listen in and decide whether or not you want to make Christ the one who puts your marriage together. Okay. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man. I would reverse that and say outside the Lord... Both are independent of each other. And that's why you see the divorce rate that you see today. Only Christ makes us one. Neither is woman independent of man or without man, or is man independent of woman, or literally in the Greek it says without. That is, you're never without each other. So anytime you cut another down, you're cutting yourself down. You're cutting yourself off from life. That's just the way life is. That's the way God built it. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has birth through the woman. And in all, in all things originate from God. Why did God build us like this? He built us like this so that what we would do in our everyday relationships would have everything to do with our relationship with Him. All is a reflection of God. All is a reflection of God. 
We love each other so that we can love God. We reverence each other so that we can reverence, reverence God. And if we can't do it here, we can't do it there. But also, in the ontology of life, the being of life, in just the way it's made up, God is involved in all of this. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. I'm going to read this to you. This is read in, in, in many wedding ceremonies, and I, I love this. It's a, it's a really great um, uh, view of life. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. It says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Now let me say this to you single folks who are with us today. Until God sends you a companion, your church family is your companion. Alright? So that you always have someone to lift you up. We are here for you. We are your church. So that is our privilege and that is our role. Now look at verse uh, 11. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Now there is a limitation to church family togetherness. And <laughs> I would say 10 applies, but 11 really doesn't. <laughs> and don't you try and make it either. Verse 12, And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. You see, if Satan were to come in and try to overpower you or anybody else, and you had a partner, you could resist it. And look at the next sentence. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Where did the three come from? I thought we were talking about one or two. No. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. The Lord is the strength of a relationship. And so therefore, God has made this wonderful world so that we have the privilege in our relationship with one another and the joy of reflecting who He is. Women, you have the absolute joy of being the comforter as Christ is the comforter, the helper as Christ is the helper. Now, I know some women these days resent this helper role business. They think, it, they think that refers to them being weaker. Let me ask you, who is weaker in a situation? The one needing the help or the helper? No, it has nothing to do with weakness. The helper is supposed to be the stronger one. Of course God would give you a husband with faults. That's why He gave you a husband with faults. So you can encourage Him. So that you can believe that he can do more than he ever thought he could do. Was not that the nature of Christ? Did not Christ look at Peter, this, this hair-trigger, hot-tempered, uh, spontaneous little boy of a big man who was a fisherman, had the mentality of a fisherman, and look at him and say, I'm going to make you fishers? A fisher of men. Peter never thought in a million years he could be a fisher of men. But Christ saw it in him. Isn't that what he said to the Zebedee boys? The, the sons of thunder? <laughs> After they became disciples and they're arguing privately one day over who's the greatest, you know? <laughs> and Christ comes up and says, what are you guys talking about? And they go, nothing. You know? Did Christ hop on them because of their selfish ambition? Did he 
quelch their ambition? No, he said this. Hey, you guys want to be great? Let me show you how to be great. You become servants. Let's see who can be the greatest servant. That'll make you the greatest in the kingdom. You see what he did? He showed them how to be more than they ever had the intention of being. Wives, you have that role in your marriage. And it is one that communicates exactly the character of Christ. Husbands, you know that leadership is not a man, a manner, a, a matter of domineering. You know that Christ was the master, but Christ was the meek master. He said, "I am meek and lowly of heart." He said, "I I didn't come to be served; I came to serve." He said, "You know what? If if you're if you're tired." Take my yoke on you. Now, what kind of things it say to, to say to somebody who's tired to, to take his yoke, you know? Well, the reason he said that is because if Christ is in the other side of that yoke, guess who's doing most of the pulling? Guess who's doing most of the guiding? It's Christ. Christ had this wonderful, solid leadership capability that men, you can reflect. When he was proclaimed king, he never lost his head. When he was proclaimed imposter, he never lost his nerve. When he was flattered, he never softened his words. When he was scorned, he never hardened his heart. He was this this stable, wonderful leader that always gave his life up. For those he loved. Men, that's you. Only it's very important that you understand that they not know it. That they not that's tough for a man. You you never saw Christ go, Okay, going to the cross. Don't worry about it, it's my job. I'm the Savior. Somebody's got to do it. I'll I'll do it. Don't worry about me. No, no. It's my job. What came across when Christ gave his life for us? Just his love. Never his pain. Never his sacrifice. Just his love. For God so loved the world. And I guess that's that's the mystery and that's the unpresentable part of this whole deal. How can you love like that? And not draw attention to yourself. How can you love like that and make sure that the other person knows it's because you're glad to love them. You are privileged to love them. You are so grateful to love them. You know, I know some pretty good marriages. But there's one thing that's missing and that's the romance Because the other spouse always said, you know, if he weren't a Christian, I'd be sunk. Uh, Or, I know he's doing this because he loves God and so he's sticking it out with me. You know? Or, 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 um, um, I know he's he's building up points. (laughs) This is a wonderful, spiritually mature individual. But there's this little voice that says, man, I wish he was crazy about me. You see, 
It's that kind of listening that is really characteristic of our relationship with Christ. Because that is a relationship instead of a religion. That's what we need with God. We're not in this to build up points. We're in this to be crazy nuts in love with God. So privileged at His grace that we would love Him, that He would love us, that we can never tell Him how grateful we are and never love Him enough back. That's what God wants from our relationships. Do you believe that He can build that into relationships? Because He can. He can. As a matter of fact, that's why He put us here. Exactly so that he could build that into our relationships. Are you willing to have him build that into yours? Let me just say two prayers here at the end, just like I did last week, because I really want to use this time in a practical sense. And only God can do this uh, in a very real sense, because it's a mystery. He's the one that does it. But, but we can pray for it. We can open ourselves to it. So the first very normal and natural uh, group that I would pray for is that if there are husbands and wives here who really want God's love for their marriage and God's kind of love for their marriage, I'd like you to stand up right now together. And, and we all want to pray for you as, as your church family. Is my wife in this service? <laughs> I don't want to be praying alone unless I have to. Okay. Well, let me pray for the husbands and wives here. God, we do pray that you would build your intimate, listening, attentive love into these relationships. We pray that men could, could seek romance and, and, and pay attention in a way that they are really trying out for for their role as husband, really proposing in their hearts every day and knowing that they have to propose again tomorrow. We pray that the wives could overlook the, the foibles that we have, the, the stupidity. The <laughs> I could go down a long list. But we pray that they could see in us more than we see and that they could believe that we could accomplish much more than we believe. Help them, by that respect, to build reverence for Christ and help us, by our love, to build intimacy with Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God, help us all to listen better so that just as you gave us what we needed, and became incarnate in a way that we could receive. So help us to give not only what others need, but give it in a way that they can receive it. And help us to be respectful people. It is that quality that is the foundation of romance. It is that quality that is the foundation of reverence. Help us to have that quality with each other so that we exercise it with you as a part of our normal relationship. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The saving grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God, 
in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us and teach us how to love and respect till he comes again in person. Amen.